Do you remember how to count? T-squared. 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 Hi, Eric. Hi, Matt. And hello to everyone out in Podlandia. Welcome back to this, the third episode of T-squared, a teaching and technology podcast. No. Oh, no. Okay, Eric, before we go any further and talk about anything else, I just want to declare for the moment, for the rest of this episode, a ban on talking about Amazon Alexa. I feel like we spent a lot of time last episode um, talking about Alexa and skill development and voice assistance. And while there's still lots of interesting stories on that topic we could talk about, I think our viewers at home uh, might appreciate us talking about something else for an episode. So you're good with that? I'm great with that. Okay, Alexa ban. Activated. This is the coffee pot at work. Listen to it, Perk. Today we are drinking some great coffee from Africa, from Malawi, Africa. Brought in from our own digital media developer, Justin Melik. Okay, here we are. So, time for the official taste. Oh, you're waiting for me. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Smell with the nose. The problem is I'm a little congested right now, and I have been. Um, there's a lot of... Allergies? Yeah, allergies, and also all this California wildfire stuff is affecting my uh, asthma, Seriously? too. Wow. Yeah. Okay, here we go. You know what? You're going to have to solo it this week, Eric, because I, I think I have lost all the extra skills to sniff out the details. This is really... Good coffee. It tastes kind of like... Um, we have to stop saying yeah, that. I know. It tastes kind of like... If you ever had uh, Sumatra, it's very similar to that. Yeah. Bold, bold flavor. Smooth. I would say exceptionally smooth. This is Mazuzu Specialty Coffee, which I, I think is a little bit of a vague name there. Um, uh, it says, placing your health first. I... I think we might need to research this a little bit because it says on the back, our coffee and your health, Mizuzu Specialty Coffee, like any other coffee, contributes the following to your body. Now, I've never seen a coffee before um, talk about this on its packaging. So for a moment, I was worried that there was some sort of weird herbs or something stuck in here. But <laughs> improves mental performance, alertness, and athletic performance, reduces the risk of liver cancer, diabetes, and the organization of of gallstones, and for some reason, gallstones are is capitalized. Uh, protects from the development of Parkinson disease and common cold. So I'll take that last one right now. Yeah, I, those are like the. T this part, I think that list is part of the top eleven coffee health benefits that I just found here from <laughs> CaffeineInformer.com. Are you saying the people at Mizuzu just copy and paste it that from looks uh, similar to the me. internet? No. <laughs> well, you know, if somebody else attests to it, I, w I won't say that it's just uh, the Mizuzu people bragging it up. Oh, um, so in the previous episode, we made mention of a another podcast uh, called Topcast, which happens to be another podcast involving education, technology, and coffee. And since then, we've actually had a, a little 
Twitter interaction with Thomas Cavanaugh, who's one of the uh, one of the two men behind uh, Topcast, the other being Dr. Kelvin Thompson. Uh, both of them at the University of Central Florida. Now, you said you've met uh, Tom at conferences before. Yeah, just a shout out to uh, Dr. Thomas Cavanaugh. Tom, I think the last time we met was at the uh, OLC conference in Orlando there, and we talked a little bit about uh, adaptive learning and what you're doing there at the University of Central Florida. Always great to uh, to meet you and, and to share ideas with you about how technology and teaching support student success. Yeah. So um, other minor update in the world of technology and coffee. You might remember in the last episode, I mentioned Mr. Coffee, the uh, the new member of the T-Squared team, our coffee plant who will join us at some point. It didn't die yet, did it? You, it it did not. It kind taking of. Taking good care of it. Uh-oh. Before I, when I got it, I did some reading on how to, you know, grow coffee well uh, in the kind of indoor hobbyist way. And, but it turns out there's more advice that I found out after I put it in its pot. And one of the things some people suggest is separating out the seedlings. So mine had, I think, four different seedlings in it. Two of them are doing well. Two, which were smaller, um, have kind of started to shrink away. So I think they're fighting each other for nutrients. Well, maybe you want to give one of the seedlings to me. But then we need to, like, you know, come up with more names. So this is, this is, I'm not saying it can't happen. This will just be a challenge. If you like to look at good coffee, listen to good coffee, smell good coffee, and You know, I keep saying that our goal is not to start every episode with a discussion about some conference that one of us has been to. But, hey, Eric, in the last couple of weeks, you actually made this grand tour of lots of conferences in the last month or so. And uh, you're actually fairly recently back from Madison, Wisconsin, that lovely town. And you want to talk a little bit about what you were doing there? Oh, sure. Certainly. Um Yeah, I had a great time at uh, the 34th Annual Distance Teaching and Learning Conference that uh, the University of Wisconsin puts on. Uh, It's been probably 10 years or so since I've last been to this conference, and so I um, wanted to check it out this year again, but also I was um, presenting. I presented this year with uh, a couple of faculty members out of our College of Ed. Uh, Amy Schelling, who is Associate Professor of Teaching and Learning, and uh, Erica Hamilton, who is Assistant Professor of Literacy and Technology, presented uh, at at the conference in a session with them on supporting university instructors through governance and peer evaluation. Basically, uh, our session talked a little bit about how Grand Valley State University developed an online peer evaluation instrument for faculty to use so that faculty can review each other's courses. We talked a little bit about how the Online Education Council was involved in uh, supporting the development of that instrument through faculty governance. So before, maybe we should just interject here for uh, for those who are not Grand Valley um, located. The OEC, as we call it, the Online Education Council, is a subcommittee of the University Curriculum Committee, which is part of our university governance system. That's right. Yeah. Back to you. That. Thank you. That. That's definitely important to provide that big picture here. Um, and, I, and we also talked a little bit, too, about how important it is for faculty to uh, focus on quality. And one of the ways of doing that is through reviewing their own course and reviewing their peers' courses. Uh, you know, with the growth of online and 
hybrid courses, even at our own university, uh, it's important to focus on um, making sure that there, our courses are designed in a way that are, you know, student friendly, that are accessible, that are, that are set up in, in a way that students can navigate them and find the materials they need and communicate with each other effectively. Yeah, you know, the the student-centered sort of student-friendly theme is one that we've touched on a couple of times on this podcast before. Yeah, and I think, you know, I I actually kind of chose a lot of sessions at the conference on that topic. I spent a little bit of time looking at uh, the pitfalls of online teaching. Then I went over and went to a session called The Power of Story to Reach Distance Learners with Hearts and Minds. Then I went into a session around focusing on professional development and how to work with faculty to teach them how to be better fa- better faculty members in an online environment. Went to a session on building rapport online. Went to a session on um, enhancing learning and minimizing cheating and boosting your evaluations. Oh boy, that's like a million topics we could talk about right there. Yes, and I um, finished up with a, with a session on overcoming change, how to increase faculty and staff buy-in for online programs. That's a good title, Overcoming Change. Hey, so out of all of those, um, which session sticks with you the most clearly? One of the sessions that I really enjoyed was actually the first session of the conference, and it was the ABCs of Distance Education, the Pitfalls of Online Teaching. Uh, it was a great session. There were I think six presenters, and they each gave their own unique perspectives on how to not fall into that pit of um, poor course design, for example, or not engaging in discussions with your students, or um, failing to use maybe multimedia tools like video to create positive pedagogical experiences for students. So all in all, that was a a great session, and I picked up a lot of good tips. a lot of the presenters also talked about quality, which uh, helped me too, as we looked at our session later on in the conference that focused on peer review. Uh, there was lots of conversation around the Quality Matters rubric, mention of the Open SUNY course quality review rubric, the um, rubric for online instruction, and then the OLC quality course teaching and instructional practice rubric. So, My goodness, there are so many rubrics. Those. Yeah. And it was, it was helpful to kind of review all of those just to see some common themes there uh, as it also related to GVSU's own uh, online course peer review rubric. Yeah, we've uh, we've had the OEC here on campus working for, boy, I don't know how many. It's, it predates my time starting at the university, which was in 2011. So maybe like nine or so years, nine, ten years, we've had the OEC, which has been part of the process of helping shape uh, helping shape online and hybrid instruction here. Um, for a lot of that time, we didn't have anything that we... Uh, we as a university, or speaking from my point of view and that of my colleagues as instructional designers, that we use to sort of help guide the thought process about quality. We became a quality matters institution back in 2013 or so, which gave us access to the quality matters rubric. One of the great things about it is how much research there is behind it. For those who don't know, quality matters as an institution updates their rubric every three years, although I think they actually missed a year this time. I think this has been four years. Uh, and But what they do in that time is they 
gather what the current research is on hybrid and online learning and learning in general so that they can cor incorporate it into uh, the rubric and what it suggests quality looks like. We always use that in a very informal way here to help train faculty to understand what quality looked like. And then the OEC a couple of years ago started the process of trying to come up with a, a rubric that would be Grand Valley, created Grand Valley specific. And it draws upon um, a, a lot of those other documents that Eric just talked about. So your session went well? Yeah, the, se the, the session was great. We uh, spent 45 is a 45 minute session and we spent all of those minutes uh, talking through how uh, GVSU focuses on quality and how we prepare faculty to evaluate their courses. Uh, we also had some questions at the very end around, well, what would happen, for example, if I work at an institution that we don't really have anything that we don't really have a quality rubric or what if what would happen if we if I worked at an institution that doesn't really have a lot of oversight of our online courses or faculty. How do we approach that? So that was an interesting conversation around the room with different strategies. And it just had to do with different models that are kind of in play at a lot of colleges and universities. One of either highly centralized from an online learning perspective, which you know there's a specific office or maybe a global campus where all the online courses are created and all the faculty teach from, all the way down through highly decentralized, which you know then uh, each department maybe at a, at a school or university does their own thing and everything in between. So we had some good conversations as a, as a big group there of just different strategies for operating within any of those environments. Because the reality is, in any of those models, you can still focus on quality. Yeah, quality. Um... <laughs> Am I dating myself if I remember Ford Motor Company's slogan, at least what it was at one point in time, quality is job one, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <clears throat> of course, I mean, part of the challenge then is <laughs> understanding what quality is. And that's where those rubrics come into play and are very helpful. Anything else from Madison you want to add? So around the University of Wisconsin-Madison and around uh, the Capitol Square in Madison, there were all these... Um, statues of the official mascot for the University of Wisconsin called the Bucky. Bucky and the Badger, if you exactly, don't right. know. <clears throat> so I saw on Twitter that there was a challenge for the most Buckies that you could take a picture of with or have a selfie with, you would win a prize. I didn't even know what the prize was, but I, I just decided to accept that challenge. So I thought I was going to win. I, I had you were posting lots of pictures. I, I saw them. Did you see them all come through? I did. Through? Uh, I, I think I saw 38 Buckies. So I had pictures of 38 of these guys. And so I got to the end of the conference. And I thought, I'm going to win because they're, based on the social media and the hashtags that you were supposed to use, uh, I felt like I was the clear winner. And then I saw on the last day that the, the, there was a different winner, that I was not the winner because yeah, one of the other um, attendees at the conference, I think, ran 10 miles per day when he was at the conference and got uh, many more Bucky pictures than I did. So I didn't win, but, you know. For 30 seconds, I was kind of bummed out because I, I wanted to win a prize. Well, you're just jealous of my success with prizes at conferences. See episode two if you don't know what we're talking about. You know what? Kudos to him for running and for taking pictures of the Buckies. I, I just had a good time just walking around the campus. I was really actually surprised, you know, hopefully this doesn't sound bad, but the uh by the campus of University of Wisconsin at Madison, I it's an amazing campus. I 
didn't expect it to be that that awesome. So we had a, a really good time walking around the campus, had some fresh ice cream right from their creamery, some fresh cheese curds. It was still mooing. It was, it was awesome, I tell you. And then they have an, an amazing spot there where you can watch the sunset across the lake. Uh, it looks like a looks like a great place to uh, to to uh, to study and to and to learn. So I I agree that Madison is a lovely place. I have not actually been to um, the campus of the university there. I do have to sit in judgment a little bit of your comments because my PhD is from the University of Minnesota, so <laughs> I am contractually obligated to not admire the University of Wisconsin too much. A little bit of rivalry there. Just a little bit. Well, you might not have won any prizes from spotting the Badgers, but Eric, you'll always be a winner in my heart. <laughs> Thank you. So, Eric, I think we should talk about something that's actually been going on here at Grand Valley for a little over a year now, and which uh, we're both involved in, and to be quite honest, uh, we, collectively speaking, have not done a good job of advertising. And what I have in mind here, of course, is the Faculty Badges Project. So... Yeah, we joined a group to talk about how we can start up a faculty badges initiative at Grand Valley to award faculty that participate in seminars or in events or in training to receive these badges. Yeah, so if you're listening at home out in Podlandia, I have a feeling you're either um, you're in one of two camps. Either you know exactly what we're talking about. Um, when we talk about digital badges and micro-credentialing, and you're probably also semi-sick and tired of, you know, one of the what's one of the items on the very short list of buzzwords in higher education and technology right now. Or you're in the category where you have absolutely no idea what we're talking about. And hey, let's talk to that crowd right now. In particular, any who happen to be uh, faculty here at Grand Valley. If you were ever involved in scouting of any kind or a lot of other kinds of organizations have for a long time tried to recognize the skills that their members developed by awarding what back in the day were actual physical little badges, often ones that you would, you know, sew on to a shirt or a sash or something. Well, that concept, I don't know, probably starting about eight or nine years ago, started to get resurrected in a digital sense. And there were a lot of people starting a movement to try and find ways to take that concept of what a badge is and what it represents and how to bring it into the 21st century with the idea of tracking the skills that people develop and doing so in a way that allows other people to find out about uh, people's accomplishments and to I mean, get proof, get verification that these people actually do have their skills. So, I mean, it's not a new concept. And I mean, there are lots of kinds of credentialing out there. College degrees and the transcripts behind them are credentials. Uh, but those represent, I guess we could call them macro credentials, right? Because they're very big. A, a degree represents what you've done over years worth of work, of courses and projects you've done. Digital badges are usually put into a category called micro-credentialing, where they represent a, a far more fine-grained skill or accomplishment. You want to interject anything? Otherwise, I'll keep going. You, you done, you've done an awesome job explaining faculty badges and actually badging in general. I think, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that's nice about badges and the Open Badge Initiative is that 
it does give some new opportunities for tracking your skills and tracking your competencies because they usually with the badge, with the digital badge, there's some evidence there that's associated with the badge that you can dig into further. Like it's not just like a high school transcript or a college transcript, which shows you the list of courses. It actually shows you in more detail, maybe the objectives or maybe the um, accomplishments that you did receive or you've earned as a result of of that badge. And so what's been exciting to see at Grand Valley here is since we've launched this in the fall of 2017, I believe there's over now 60 badges available on our system with over 140 that have been awarded to faculty. And that information might be even out of date. And then the badges are available through the Pew FTLC, our e-learning and emerging technologies team, and university libraries. Specifically in e-learning, I believe we have seven badges that we offer and foundations of online hybrid course development is one of them. Yeah, so I have a few uh, badge ideas I need to sort of finish off that's on the to-do list. But to sort of rewind a moment, uh, this group representing the library, the Teaching and Learning Center, and e-learning, we started meeting three-ish years ago because we were all groups on campus that are very faculty-serving. And in particular, not only do we serve faculty, but we offer opportunities for faculty to engage in professional development. We all have workshops, seminars, uh, conferences, things that we do, and we wanted to leap from there to finding a way for faculty to have a means to properly show, I mean, kind of in the context of tenure and promotion, but just overall, professionally perhaps, show the work that they have done on improving who they are as teachers and scholars. So we spent a long time researching badging, finding out what other institutions were doing, uh, discovering that a lot of institutions who seemed to have something very impressive when you poked at it did not have anything very well developed. And I think we've actually done some really great work thinking through what goes into creating a badging system. Uh, two things that I, I need to try to remember to say here before I forget them. One is I think we're about to see a much bigger conversation about badging here at Grand Valley. Um, there are various academic units who are starting to explore the possibility of formally offering academic badges to students, and that's developing. And our faculty badges group has actually started a set of meetings with other offices on campus to help bring into the conversation other groups uh, that offer professional development, and perhaps not just to faculty, also to the very large number of professional staff that we have here at Grand Valley. Okay, so that's one thing. This conversation about badges is gonna get bigger. The second thing is, and I, I mentioned this the last time that uh, those of us in the badge council, as we refer to ourselves, <laughs> uh, that we do have a lot of, boy, I hesitate to say wisdom, but that's where my brain went to. We do have a lot of, uh, a lot that we've thought through in this process, although there are still questions that we come up with, uh, big questions that we have to figure out the answers to. But uh, I think as a group, we're going to try and take some of this knowledge and do something with it in the form of maybe a conference presentation somewhere. Right. Um, I, I guess technically, paper, Eric. Or, yeah, yeah, paper. I guess technically, Eric, you and I are. Um, we've talked about doing it at the ETOM conference this yeah. fall, so I guess that'll oh, be the yeah. first one. ETOM is the Educational Technology Organization of Michigan. 
Yes, another conference that we'll probably report on. <laughs> and no, I don't know about door prizes. No, I, and I would just kind of echo what you were saying there. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that when we met all together as the Badge Council, one of the things that was really important to us was to not award a badge to somebody and not really have it mean anything. Uh, and that's why when we did do a lot of just environmental scanning and just looking around at what other institutions were doing, one of the things that was really important to us was to make sure that when you do offer a badge that there's something that the faculty have to do to um, demonstrate that they have those skills. So whether it's writing a reflection or maybe publishing a, a paper on something or presenting uh, whatever it is they learned to uh, a colleague or to a department. Uh, and also what I liked what we when we what we did is we came up with a, a series of levels. So uh, we have a bronze level of badge, which are sort of basic achievements for essentials of a topic and you know they have to submit a reflection there. We have silver, which is you know more of a, a development of that basic level proficiency where faculty then participate in a more extensive learning or submit some evidence of implementing whatever it is they learned. And then the gold level is we kind of reserved for the more advanced, more complicated implementations of, of their skills where they're maybe refining what it is they've learned and they're personalizing it and they're putting it in their context and or they're disseminating those findings to their peers in a, either in a conference or maybe in participating in a campus event. Uh, and so I like that we came up with those different levels because it gives some visual indicators as well for what badges do you have and how deep of learning did you go. And one of the things I do want to make sure that we talk about, too, at some point here uh, is to talk about the system that you developed, Matt, that is pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, I'm not quite sure how generally interesting that will be. But, no, that's definitely part of the story that we'll have to tell about what we learned on the way to having a badging program. There's a lot of moving pieces. Part of it is the curricular process, right? Eric just talked about the gold, silver, bronze, and thinking about how badges relate to each other, what they represent, consistency and requirements, these kinds of things. But there's also a, there's also a business process aspect to this. As the Badge Council, and I feel like there should be fancy music that plays every time we say badge council, maybe like an angel choir. <laughs> On the badge council, we decided that we would work with a company called Credly, which is a very, it's probably the, the industry leader in terms of offering a back end for storing information about badges and awarding them to faculty. So all the badges that we issue right now actually do come from Credly, although they are part of this open badges concept, which I I think if we talk about this, it's a rabbit hole. We'll go down. Maybe we can come back to it in another episode. But the idea is that these are um, credentials that aren't tied to any particular vendor. You can sort of take them wherever you go. So just because we issue a badge through Credly doesn't mean if we ever um, move away from Credly, there will be a problem. But even with Credly, there are still steps in the process of awarding badges that you need to figure out how to handle. Like... Who is going to be the one that double checks to see that faculty or badge earners have done the work that's required? How do we keep track when people ask for badges? Who verifies them? So yeah, I helped put together a system that fills in some of those gaps. Enough said. And it is called the Badger. So I'm just noticing, Eric, this and the previous segment, they're both about badgers. <laughs> oh my goodness. That was not intentional. <laughs> 
That is crazy. What a coincidence. Yeah, we could say a lot more about badges, but I wanted to bring it up right now because with the new academic year upon us and the one year anniversary of the Faculty Badges Initiative, uh, it's time for us to start raising the awareness around campus. So faculty, if this sounds interesting, you can take a look at the badges that are offered by our three groups. Uh, There is a Faculty Badges website. Oh boy, and I have to double check this. Am I going to get it right? It's gvsu.edu slash faculty badges. Good. We do one with the obvious. So faculty badges, I'll put a link to that in the show notes that you can uh, click on or at least copy and take a look. Um, Many of the badges, if you've actually already done the work that's represented by them, many of the badges do have a button or a link that allows you to start the process of claiming the badge for yourself right there. So faculty badges, check it out. So, Eric, uh, the last time we met, we talked about making sure that we had an episode that comes out around the start of the school year. And one of the reasons that's a good idea is because a lot of faculty, they um, they don't spend the summer teaching. They have lives that they actually live. And when they come back to school in the fall, along with students, they discover that we in information technology have been busy upgrading and changing Blackboard and all the other educational Technologies, because summer is a great time to, you know, run updates and such when there's no one that's depending upon them. Okay, let's be honest, there's never a good time. But uh, one of the things that has happened over the course of the summer is that we've added a pretty important new functionality to our Blackboard Learn learning management system, and that is called Blackboard Ally, A-L-L-Y. That's right. Uh, Blackboard Ally was made available to uh, all faculty and students on June 21 in the summer. And Blackboard Ally is a brand new application that provides three different capabilities. And one of them is, and first and foremost, is to help faculty and create some awareness around what accessibility means and how to create documents in Blackboard that are more accessible. So one of the features it provides is a accessibility checker that uh, automatically checks any file that's been uploaded into Blackboard. So faculty don't have to do anything. They just have to upload their files as they normally do. And after a short amount of time, their files are automatically checked against a standard called WCAG 2.0 AA. That's a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't really have to know what that means because... We will henceforth refer to it as the gold standard of accessibility. (laughs) And what's nice about it is you don't have to go in and learn about all those standards because Ally has done that work for you as a faculty member. So it provides on screen a series of dashboard indicators Um, from green all the way up through red that will um, identify any particular issue that it finds uh, that you have with your documents. And so one of the things that's nice is that it gives you some insight then as a faculty member as to the level of accessibility of the files that you are creating and uploading. And then on screen, there is a way to um, take a look at that particular file that you've uploaded and zero in on what accessibility issues that it may have. This is where this would be good if this was a video podcast, because we could actually show what we're talking about. That's right. But what's what's nice about it is that there's a step-by-step 
process that it guides you through right on screen. So if, for example, you've uploaded a document that doesn't have an alt text, which is for an image, which basically is, you know, if you're um, not a sighted person and there's an image that's in your document, uh, they rely on the alt text, the alternative text for that image to describe what that image is actually showing. Kind of backtracking then for a second, the system, Blackboard Ally, will guide you through the process of adding an alt text uh, statement to your photo or to your image that you've uploaded. So there's some guidance that the instructor uh, is provided. That's one piece. The second piece is that it supports the idea of universal design for learning, that is providing alternative formats for your documents in such file types as EPUB or audio only or HTML accessible or uh, electronic braille even. So it supports this idea of multiple different formats of your content, all done for the faculty members. And then the third piece that LA provides is a institutional view, um, dashboard if you will, that provides the university a big picture look at what are the most common accessibility issues across the Blackboard system. And then it gives us insight, insight then as an e-learning team to develop some support and some resources for faculty to help. Um, increase the accessibility of their content along the way. So uh, a couple of things that I want to add to what Eric just said. First of all, um, it's important to remember that Ally is not some sort of magic wand or silver bullet. It, it does not magically make everything accessible. Really what it is, the, the, the first part of the process that Eric talked about is a tool for helping identify problems with accessibility. I'm going to be honest, I haven't poked at Ally a great deal, uh, but I have looked at it in the context of preparing my own class for this fall. And I always copy my previous semester's Blackboard site and start from there and replace things. And I noticed that uh, most of the PDF files that I had put up there the last semester, um, there was that big red warning indicator next to them. And uh, when I clicked on the explanation, it said, you know, these PDFs are not tagged. Don't worry about what that means. But uh, I was happy to find that when I went back into Word and then I used, uh, there's a special option in Word that allows you to actually turn it into a tagged PDF. Uh, that little dial went from red to green right away. So, I mean, for at least my personal experience, it's helpful and informative. So second, it's important to point out that an important lesson for everybody when it comes to technology is that no technology should be trusted implicitly all the way, right? So Ally does have its limitations. Right now, it's really best at taking a look at the files that you've uploaded to Blackboard, whether it's your syllabus or other handouts and things, and taking a look then at uh, how those comply to that gold standard of accessibility that we talked about. So there are things that it doesn't really help with at the moment. It's not going to help you with video necessarily. So, I mean, there are different accessibility concerns that come up in the context of video. Um, I think we've been told that an update to Ally at some point in the uncertain future is going to help uh, look at things like the, the text that you type in the Blackboard, but that, that's, that's right. not here yet. The secret is not to focus exclusively on whether your red dial has turned into a green dial. There's a lot of complicated things that Ally looks at in terms of deciding what your score is going to be. And we did some testing earlier in the summer looking at the things that it was concerned about. And there were situations where, for example, it would flag a file as being read 
and you know looking at the file it, it didn't seem to really actually have the problems that it said it did some of this comes down to readability and contrast in that regard i think it's important to note that this is a tool to help us and it's not something that uh, anybody here right now is going to be using in any kind of punitive or um, surveillance kind of way, right? No one's going to be checking on your classes and coming knocking on your door if if you have lots of red dials. This is a, an information tool that's designed to help us do a better job of serving the needs of our students. That's right, Matt. And I think what's important, too, is that the Blackboard Ally tool is a tool to use to increase your awareness of accessibility and to help students by creating more accessible documents. But what's important, though, is that it's not to replace all the excellent resources that GVSU already has. For example, the Disability Support Resources Office supports students that have uh, the need for accommodations. And the reality is there's a variety of different disabilities. And so the approach that's used for the accommodation may have needs beyond what Ally can provide. And so I think what's important there, though, is that if you do have a student with a documented disability, if they haven't already contacted DSR, they're going to want to do that. Yeah, uh, excellent points. So Ally is new to us here at Grand Valley. This is going to be the first full semester where we actually have it in place. So we're going to be doing workshops on the subject and expect, if you're part of the Grand Valley community, to hear a lot more about it as we learn about how to help faculty use it more effectively um, as part of their teaching. So Eric, I said that I wanted to keep this episode short-ish and sweet-ish. Notice that Swedish, not Swedish. I, I don't have that power. Um, so I think we'll cut it there. Um, hey, thanks everybody for listening to this third episode of T Squared. Um, if you're new to us, go back and listen to the first two episodes. And I would say the stuff that everybody always says at the end of podcasts: subscribe, like us on social media, all those kinds of things. But I don't think I've done an adequate job of setting all that up and i'm not quite sure about the reviews on the itunes podcast store so we'll figure that all out at some point however spread the word tell your friends um and if you have any questions that you would like us to talk about please send us those and we'll make sure those are an episode topic coming up that would be great to have listeners submitted questions that we could talk about and answer so it's not just uh eric and i droning on about what we think is important at any rate, um, if you are part of a community whose school year is beginning, we wish you all the best for the year ahead. And we will see you next time on the next episode of T-Squared. See you, Eric. See you later. Are they gone yet? I think I'm supposed to be doing the credits, so I'm hoping that the Alexa ban is over. Okay, let's do this. If I get in trouble, I'm telling them you said it was okay. T-Squared, a teaching and technology podcast, is a production of Grand Valley State University's e-learning and emerging technologies team. Our theme music is from Bill Ryan and the Grand Valley State University New Music Ensemble. Remove plastic before eating. This podcast is not dishwasher safe. Void where prohibited, except where not prohibited. T-squared.